Hello and welcome to the Dlieve.org um, podcast and sound recordings. Dlieve is an Afrikaans, uh, two words in Afrikaans, it means the life, and it basically comes from um, the Bible that says that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh unto the Father but by him. And it's just basically referring to that and thinking about the life that we all live and trying to, to get closer to the Lord Jesus as being the one who is actually the life, the true life. So we're going to look at a few things on this website and on the podcast. Have a look at the website. Uh, there's a, a blog which gets updated once every so often. <laughs> uh, D-L-E-W-E, D-I-E. L E W E dot O R G. And then there's a blog, Moses Seat. And that's the whole thing and the focus of this podcast and these messages. It's Moses Seat. So, what do we mean by Moses Seat? I've written a little article about that. And this first podcast will handle that. But um, if you look at um, Matthew 23, we are very much like those Pharisees, the um, the people, when I say us or we, I mean the people that teach, that teach from God's word and tell people what they should believe and how they should adjust their faith and uh, the things they believe to supposedly come closer to God. And we much like those Pharisees in that we get up into Moses' seat and we sit over there and then speak with the authority of Moses. So what authority did Moses have? Moses spoke. He was the man of God and he spoke pretty much the word of God. So in essence, what you're actually doing is you're actually trying to um, tell people, thus saith the Lord, you're supposed to do this or that because the Lord said so. And in essence, when you preach any kind of thing, anything you do, or you just stand up on the pulpit and you just make a small little joke or something or tell a little story or do any of these things, you're actually saying, thus saith the Lord by that action and by that thing. Um, so it's a very dangerous position, it's a very dangerous uh, situation sometimes when you find yourself in and you need to be very careful about that. So people uh, tend to believe uh, what they hear from the pulpit, they tend to have some sort of um, thought about it that it, it, it must be from God in some way or it, it must come from God's word and they kind of just accept it sometimes sometimes a bit naively, but they accept these things with authority. And that's where the danger comes in, because if I stand up there and I just give my own little story and my own little thinking and so forth, I might actually end up being misleading the people. And therefore, we need to be very, very careful, very careful when you preach, when you stand up and tell people uh, things from the pulpit or in any situation where you teach people supposedly from the scripture you need to be extremely careful for that reason because um, you might actually end up teaching people wrong so Matthew 23 verse 2 let's read that verse saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses seat and that's the Lord Jesus speaking and he said to them that the scribe and the Pharisees they tend to sit in Moses seat so let's think about that whenever you try and preach or teach people 
And our aim needs to be to bring people closer to God, not further away. And that's what this very first article that I'm going to talk about. It's not the first one on the website. It's the first one I want to talk about. And that's the aim of it. And the aim of this was to warn people, are you actually bringing people closer to God? Or are you actually bringing people further away from God with what you're teaching? To, to kind of ask that question in people's minds. And the article is called The Danger of Sitting in Moses' Seat. So there's a danger associated with it. The Danger of Sitting in Moses' Seat It is written of Moses that he was God's servant and that he became known as the man of God. Also does Samuel tell us that he was advanced by God to a position where he could execute God's authoritative acts against Pharaoh and before his fellow men. And thus it is that most people from every corner of the earth today speak with some reverence of this man whether they claim to believe the divine laws given by him or not. God gave him a specific business to fulfill, and that was to establish a recorded way to the absolute truth before men, and have them believe and follow that way. It was in God's righteous commandments conveyed by Moses that the Jews, first of all peoples, were able to see man's need for complete purity, which is humanly unattainable, to be reconciled to God. It was through these record of the early messianic prophecies that they were first able to believe, like Jeremiah, that the Lord our righteousness will himself work the sacrificial way to purchase redemption for man's sin. They ended up taking his words so seriously that we are still able today to determine the very words Moses wrote down, sentence for sentence, word for word, letter for letter. None other human writing has been preserved like this. For about 3,500 years now, preachers and teachers of the Word of God have styled themselves in some way to the likes of Moses, that when they speak, the Lord would speak through them as He did through Moses. Whether they be called scribes, Pharisees, rabbis, pastors, bishops, elders, preachers, and so forth, the aim is to speak the truth and have the hearers believe it. The incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ the Lord, recognized that any preacher of God's written word do indeed carry some of the authority of Moses, and he declared it in a most interesting way. He said in Matthew 23 verse 2, They sit in Moses' seat. It can still today be found to be amazingly true. Inasmuch as once you are presented to a congregation as a teacher of God's word, they immediately assume that you carry a substantial and qualified knowledge of whatever the topic is you are discoursing on. The moment you throw out a Hebrew or a Greek word, along with a lexicon definition, they revere you as a scholar and dare not question you because themselves know far less, or at least so they assume. This situation of what I'll call rabbinical reverence, because it sounds nice, has a very good side to it, and also a tremendously dangerous side, because we not only offer these hearers something as truth, we also cause them to believe it, whether it indeed be true or not. Is the lack of a desire for soul winning in churches not related to decades of pastors telling us that the Bible can be shown to contain the Word of God, but cannot fully be the infallible Word of God. 
that perhaps God used evolution, that he in his great love don't really mind if we live in sin, that we shouldn't be too much of a Bible basher, that there are culturally no more taboos except for preaching about hell, that a loving God won't cast an idolater eternally into the lake of fire, that Jesus is a way to God but cannot be the only way. So we see that because of a love for sin and an unwillingness to repent from it, Pastors have steered us away from the truth, and we allowed them. The result of rabbinical reverence, however, can cause a wonderful spiritual growth in the church as they listen to their pastor, who really studied it truly, and whose aim is to make much of the Bible before his flock. Alas, how much more often do we rather have to suffer a preacher, whom with the yearning of preeminence makes a careless statement of a supposed translational mistake in our Bible? if the original language is to be correctly understood. All this happens in a fleeting moment, and without any disclosure of what his sources for this revelation are, his method of deducing this, nor giving the shock lamps of the Good Shepherd a fair chance to verify his argument, nor does he offer them the solution of which Bible is supposed to be the correct one. The poor lost lamp stops listening to the message right there, and for the rest of the sermon that flaw in his infallible word of God, bothers him. He loses another little bit of faith in this Bible in his hands. The question of why the churches are empty is surely answered by the lost ones saying, if the Christians can't figure the Bible out, how are we supposed to do it? One thing it does produce, and which seems to be the aim in most cases, is that the preacher looks very learned in front of the people. We perceive that a pastoral lack of meekness, of which Moses and the Lord Jesus were such tremendous examples, have brought the church in large on the way of diatrophies, as is written in 3 John 1 verse 9. The Lord Jesus Christ addressed this in showing that these teachers do not only cause a spiritual hindrance to themselves, but to the hearers too. In Matthew 23 he points out, them distorting the truth and exalting themselves while doing so. We need to ask ourselves, why do I utter this statement? And what do I aim to achieve by it? If the answer is to issue the truth in humility, so that the hearers might be edified in their faith in God, then we do well. Now to be a scribe and a Pharisee is not the problem in itself, but what we do with the truth when it confronts us is. Nicodemus and Paul are good examples. We see it in our own lives that when we are humble before God, it is a time in which we get the biggest desire to win souls for God. When we exalt ourselves, we lose that care for the souls of others. A recent interaction with a Jewish neighbor showed to me how misled these children of Jacob can become by starting off with traditional Judaism and ending up in all sorts of Eastern mysticism. Only the pure written word of God offered in meekness can open such a one's eyes. Is it not written in John 8 verse 32, that we shall know the truth, and the truth will make us free? In this dispensation of the church, we have but a short time to still work the works of him that sent us, before the time comes once again for Israel to raise the standard of Christ's host over the battlefield in the great tribulation. Let us work to establish people's faith in the work of God, not demolish it. So yes, that's the article, and the heart of it is really, before you speak to people and correct the Bible and 
say certain things ask yourself what is the aim what is my aim about with this where do I want to go with this and may we always be sure to edify people closer to God and to his word and what we will also look at in these um, podcasts and, and sound bites is we'll look at uh, the attack on the authorized version in particular because that's in my view and my research um, apart from the originals in the Hebrew and the Greek and so forth this is the best translation I came across in a modern understandable tongue uh, language um, even the Afrikaans one is not as good unfortunately I wish it was I wish it was as good but it's not um, we'll look specifically at the authorized version we'll try and figure out uh, when you look at these things and these obvious mistakes people always point out um, when you look at these things you try and ask yourself first um, is this a mistake um, why does it look like a mistake and we try and analyze it we also try and look at why did they choose to translate that word in such a way if you think about it the authorized version in particular was translated by uh, 40 somewhat men um, started out about 50 somewhat and uh, it ended up being in the 40s and it's a very interesting book about it i'll tell you about it in, a, in another program a very good summary about this uh, it's i'll tell you the name now it's uh, king james his translators um his Bi king james his bible his translators something like that uh, by a, a man uh, vance uh, lawrence vance doctor or somebody a very very good book um just a summary if you want to get the bigger picture which you don't get in other books and when you start looking through these things and you, you realize that these were very learned men they they don't just make up stories and things and put it in the bible they they had years of experience in hebrew uh, one of the points he mentions in that book is that a whole generation grew up in in england uh, being taught in hebrew and greek uh, because the previous generation or so started teaching their children this and it became a very a whole generation that actually were taught uh, the, these languages and then that generation started uh, ended up being the translational uh, people and that translated the the bible so i mean that just gives him a, a heads up above all these um modern scholars none of them grew up speaking hebrew and greek and um they all started learning it in, in, in later times and when they studied at the universities and the colleges and things like that. So one thing is these people that have a big knowledge about that. So you ask yourself, if all these men, which were supposed to be the best in the country back then, um, they all trans ended up translating it in a certain way, why is it? And you try and figure out why. And you start looking at the fact that most of the Bible is also the result of what was in the bishop's Bible. So now you're building up uh, on uh, um, the previous version as well, which was done by a lot of bishops, also trained men 
in these classical languages and uh, they've got a lot of knowledge about all these things and I know the, it went through a few revisions also but it was built on the basis of that and when you go back to that you jump all the way back to uh, Tyndale and he a lot of the Bible is based on what he wrote um, many years before so the thing is you're constantly building up on, on previous people as well so it's not just the 46 or whatever um, translators that you're, you're looking at um, so you need to ask yourself are these guys all wrong or was there actually a reason why they translated it as such and when you start looking at it from that perspective and then go analyze the source text then go analyze certain things and so forth you start seeing a different answer than when you've just started um, jumping into the situation just said oh I can see this is an obvious mistake um, and there might actually be a good reason for why it's translated in that way and why it's intentionally translated in that way um, and it was not a mistake so we're going to look at that see if we can explain why it's translated in that way we won't be able to explain everything but we will be, ex be able to explain a lot a lot more than you you think and um, we'll just look at some of these problem passages and um, see if they really are problems and whether the Bible really as it's translated in the authorized version whether it really is wrong or whether it's not perhaps right and whether we will be able to glorify God through that um, I can promise you it will be interesting and I can promise you this that you'd be surprised how good now accurate that translation really is and um, you'd end up wishing more translations were that good I promise you that um, have a good day and thank you for listening